Welcome to the Choose Life Radio Network. Your host is Jill Taylor. Every week we bring you a candid conversation with someone who's making a difference for the cause of life. And now here's Jill to introduce today's guest on Choose Life Radio. Welcome to Choose Life Radio. I don't know about you, but I live in a neighborhood where everybody kind of looks just like me. And every once in a while, there's one neighbor that walks out of her car, out of her house, to the car, or out of her car, back to the house, and her head is wrapped, and she's got a long flowing gown on. And I always wonder, what should I be saying to her? Our guest today is Karen Bajani, and she's going to share with us exactly what we can say. Welcome, Karen. Thanks, Jill. It's so great to be here. Oh, it's so good to have you, and I love the topic, and I don't know that we've ever even considered talking about this, but boy, we're supposed to be sharing Jesus Christ and the the love gift that he gave us through his death on the cross, and here are all these people around us that aren't getting a chance to hear because we're afraid to tell them. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and I can certainly identify it because I used to feel the same way. When I shop at my local grocery store, I feel like I'm shopping in another country sometimes because there are moms there from some of the world's least reached nations, like right there in the dairy aisle with me. And what I realize is that they've come from places where they could never have heard the good news. And now they're here and they're free to hear the gospel. And they're raising up their kids to follow after God as they know him and they don't know about Jesus and the big problem is is that most of us believers are kind of ill-equipped to tell them. The struggle is real because I certainly felt the exact same way. And Jill, you may have as well, and, and your listeners might have felt the same way. And what I want to say is that's completely normal because when you think about it, I grew up in America's heartland, in fact, on a farm in the Midwest. Oh, back at, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, back in a time when the United States was predominantly Christian. I would say at that point, it was like 93% of Americans identified as Christian. And so that meant that either all of my neighbors were either Methodists or Presbyterian or Baptists. And, and certainly none of us knew anything about people from other faiths and religions. That was something that we thought that missionaries did. They went overseas somewhere to share the gospel, but we didn't need to do that here in the United States. I don't know, was that your experience growing up too, Jill? I grew up in a pastor's family, and all we did was talk to the congregation, the people, the the Sunday school people, and it was always a conversation of great convenience and great ease because it was something that we all believed. That's like so normal. I know certainly I pursued the American dream, and I never looked around and realized that there were so many people coming here from other nations. And when September 11th, 9-11 happened and the Twin Towers came down in New York, I remember all of a sudden that's when Islam came on everybody's radar. And I remember certainly thinking, why do they hate us so? Like, what is going on? And I certainly carried a lot of fear never imagined in a million years that I would share my faith with a Muslim woman. And truth be told, I never imagined sharing my faith with anyone. I never heard the gospel shared outside of the church walls. 
And the sad thing is, is I was well into adulthood when my husband, he was born in Baghdad, grew up in the Middle East, was persecuted and tortured for his faith there as a kid. And he took me there shortly after we were married to meet his family and for ministry purposes. And while we were there, I was in the back seat of a taxi in Beirut. Oh, and my and goodness. my friend turned to the Muslim taxi driver. He was a male. And she asked him, do you know Jesus? And I remember sitting in the back seat of that taxi thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to share the gospel with him. Is that allowed here? Can she even do the thing? And then I was listening to her share the gospel with him, and he was asking all kinds of questions. And then I thought, people don't do that in the United States. That's something that happens here in Beirut, but it would never happen in America. And I think the problem was is that, number one, I didn't have the motivation to do it, but certainly I also lacked skill. And what I found is that most everyday Christian women are a lot like me, is number one, we haven't been thinking about it, so it's not been on our radar, and we've not been especially motivated to do it because we can't imagine ourselves doing it because we don't have the skills to do it, right? Karen, for a while there, you even walked away from God for a period of time. Tell me about that and how you found Him again. What took place there? Certainly, my husband walked away from the Lord in a much more dramatic fashion than I certainly did. For me, I was the classic story, go off to college, and then kind of checked out from her faith for a period of time. And then the Lord begins to woo me back. And at some point through that period of time, I began to sense the Lord stirring on my heart. Here I was, at this point, I was a single mom, three sons, pursuing the American dream, growing my corporate career, when I felt this nudge from the Lord saying, the nations live here, go engage with them. And I thought, certainly the Lord must have me mess, you know, confused with another Karen in my subdivision. <laughs> Not the one that was supposed to get that message. Yeah, he knows um, where you live, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> he does. But I was certain he had the wrong Karen. And shortly after, shortly after that is when I met my husband, Renaud, who had grown up persecuted in North Africa, raised Christian in Islamic world nations. And certainly, you know, he was at war with Muslims when I was growing up in the cornfields of America's heartland and didn't even know that Muslims existed. And so by this point, he had a, a calling to ministry and he was ministering to Muslims as people that he once hated, serving a God once he once denied. And in that process, he expanded my my mindset to realize, oh my goodness, there are people from many nations all around, and we are called to be the light to them. And if we're not gathering people to the Lord, then we're scattering. He's telling us to declare His glory among the nations. And I realized, number one, I was afraid of them. And number two, I didn't know how. And so it's about this time that my wonderful husband took me to the Middle East shortly after we were married, kind of as a honeymoon. What wonderful husband takes his wife to the heart of the Middle East for honeymoon. And so we were going to go and visit with a woman who was a missionary in one of the, just a city that was especially populated by some extremists. And we were just going to go to the outskirts of the city and meet with her there. Let's call her Miriam. And we 
accidentally took a wrong turn and ended up in the heart of a, a very tense situation, a place where we shouldn't have been. And I was in the back seat of the car. I had a hijab on. I had my big sunglasses on. And I was just overwhelmed with dire fear. And I was certain we were going to die. My parents wouldn't know where I was. We weren't going to go to the city. And Renaud stepped out of the car to get directions. And our driver, he went off to get directions too. So I was sitting in this backseat of a car uh, waiting for the two of them to come back while very radical Islamic extremists were walking around with their machine guns all around. Oh, my word. Are you serious? Oh, that's so frightening. I, I had hit that point where fear comes on so strong that I was completely just shaking and crying and irrational. Shortly afterwards, they both popped back in the car. They had located where Miriam lived, and we pulled into her building and she flung open the door. She took one look at me. I was a hot mess. She began to hand me tissues and coffee and said, welcome to God's house. And so as I sat there drinking tea with her, I could only just stare at her with wonder because she was full of joy. And as she talked with me about, I would just peppering her with questions like, how could you live here, Miriam? There's so much, I could just feel the evil in the city. And how can you walk around when, what do you do when the, when the shooting happens? And she said, I just stop and drop and begin to pray until it's over. And then I get up and go about my business again. And I thought, how could she live here? But as she shared with me her story, it seemed like Jesus was in the kitchen with us. And I realized that she had such a deep and abiding relationship with the Lord. I wanted what she had. She said to me, Karen, Jesus is worth it all. And I realized I didn't have that kind of faith. I had never shared the gospel with anyone, and I was into my 40s. I'd never heard it shared outside of the U.S., outside of the church walls. And that really, she was a catalyst along with my husband, that set me on a journey to realize I had forgotten who God was, who I am in Him, and what He called me to do, and all, and all believers. Karen, you beautifully told a story that I found myself picturing Jesus in that kitchen with you, sitting on, literally on the counter, and just looking at two women talking about Him. It just must make Jesus Christ so happy that his people left here in this world to share who he is are willing to do it. And uh, this is a beautiful story, and I hope that our listener understands that this is something you can do and I can do. This is something we can take on and say one person at a time, I'm going to make an effort for one person that I know doesn't know Jesus, and I'm going to begin to befriend them. We are going to take a very quick break. This has gone so fast this first half, but we're going to come right back with Karen Bajani and hear the rest of her story and learn about the book that she's written called The Blue Cord. So don't go away. We'll be right back with you on Choose Life Radio. Choose Life Radio believes that life is a sacred gift from God and should be treated as such, from conception to natural death. Our purpose is to share in-depth conversations with persons who have a direct connection to the life issue. These conversations encourage, inspire, and shine the light of God's amazing grace on a lost and hurting world. 
Your gift today will help us continue to expand the reach of these life-affirming conversations. You can give generously online by visiting chooseliferadio.com. Just click the donate button at the top of the page, or you can mail your gift to Choose Life Radio, Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio 44735. That's Choose Life Radio, Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio 44735. That address is also posted at chooseliferadio.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back to Choose Life Radio. I'm Jill Taylor. Our guest today is Karen Bajani, and we are just blown away by her testimony of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that she knows aren't necessarily aware of Christianity, probably from other countries. And she's written a book called The Blue Cord. I want her to tell us all about that and share how this book will help us make a difference in the way we share. So welcome back to Choose Life Radio. Karen, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. And I've either got tears in my eyes or a great big grin on my face, no matter what you're saying. So I just want to be able to let let our guests know that if they missed that first part, they're welcome to go back on our website, chooseliferadio.com, and take a listen to that first half, because it was very important in stabilizing us and understanding Karen, a farm girl who is now sharing Christ with people who have never, ever heard of Jesus Christ before and probably don't think they ever need to. Karen, continue with your story. Did you have a period of time where you were really frustrated with this and kind of stepped away? I I think we kind of talked about that a little bit, but what took place for you that, that frustrated you? Was it before you were married or after you were married? As it relates to sharing my faith, I knew that good Christian girls are supposed to be sharing their faith. And now we are embarking in a post-Christian culture, and we are daughters of the King, and yet we are certainly in this cancel culture. It's easier to hide our faith than to share our faith. And so Jesus is telling us, you're called to be the light of the world, and yet it's scary to know how to do that. But what does that look like? Can we really do that? And what I came to realize now after 10 years of corporate America, my role in corporate America really was to take women by the hand and help them um, be entrepreneurs. I think probably the biggest and scariest thing that ever happened to me was when my husband and I felt this calling for me to step into ministry full-time. And I left my corporate career, I was a senior executive at the peak of my corporate career, and the Lord, we knew very clearly the Lord was calling me to step into full-time ministry. We met with our pastor and several friends that were very close to us, and they all said, yes, we can see this on you. (laughs) Why haven't you done it yet? (laughs) (laughs) Karen, that's such an incredible statement to make because there are so many people who have excellent jobs. Maybe they're at the very top of their career, and they're making a lot of money And that's the temptation, isn't it? To say, if I go to work for God, I'm not going to get anything. If I stay here, I'm going to be very wealthy. And that's not true because we're, we're thinking of money instead of the wealth that God gives us. That's absolutely true. 
it's our human inclination. We always, we rely on our own understanding first. And it's the same way in sharing our faith. So in that moment, many people said to us, you're crazy. That would be a really silly idea for you to walk away from your corporate career. And yet we did. And through that period of time for really the next six months, my husband and I learned to pray for our daily bread. It was our daily bread. Sometimes it was hourly. And the Lord through that period is teaching us to trust him for our very breath. And the Lord became ever so real to me um, because we began to realize that God is very much real <laughs> and He would provide for us miraculously at the often at the very last minute. And He was strengthening our faith. Boy, don't we don't we look back at Old Testament, New Testament, story after story after story where God does exactly that, and yet we don't apply that to our own lives. And I think today you're challenging both me and the listener, to allow God to do some miracles for you so you can understand you don't have to provide for yourself all the time. There are others that need to hear your story rather than you going to a restaurant to be eating. And this is, I think, one of the biggest things that I've learned over the last decade now, and that is that we can be in three places in our lives as we're operating as believers. We can be in what I call the comfort zone, That's where we think we are operating in an area of safety. Um, We're living in comfort. We can be in the discomfort zone where we stretch out in obedience and do the things like share our faith with people who are very different from us or open our mouths to identify ourselves as a Jesus follower in cancel culture or walking away from a corporate job and into full-time ministry. That's a discomfort zone where we learn to trust the Lord and don't lean on our understanding so that we can enter that third zone, and that's the joy zone. And that's when we begin to operate, and we see God at work all around us, and that place is an incredible adventure. I love that, and I think our listener loved it, too, the idea that I had you with comfort zone and discomfort zone, and I was thinking, what in the world could the third zone be? (laughs) And that is joy, where you are thrilled with what you just realized. You don't have to worry about who's going to provide. You don't have to worry about whether or not you stop and have a conversation. You're going to be late for a job. You get the opportunity to work for God. Absolutely. Before we lose time, I want to hear about writing The Blue Cord. It's a wonderful book, and it's called Connecting Your Faith with Your Purpose. So tell us about that. It really all started when, as the Lord grew me and began to show me that, first, I didn't imagine myself in His story. I could never imagine myself walking across the street and sharing my faith or even striking up a conversation with my Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist neighbors. It wasn't going to happen. And then through that time, the Lord helped me begin to reframe my thinking from thinking I had to do all of those things in my own power, as if it all relied on me, to shift my focus where I began to really seek Him and see where He was at work in people's lives. And then I began to join Him in His story. And when I began to make that shift in what I thought And then my action shifted, and then pretty soon I was leading women to Christ. And in that process, I began to look back, and all my friends were were watching me from the sidelines. And at first, some of them were like, I would mention that I'm going to leave my job in corporate America and do this full-time. It was a mic drop moment. You're going to do what? You're going to engage with Muslim women, your others to do the same? No one wants to know anything about this. (laughs) And then 
And then what happened is my friends began to watch me from the sidelines and they watched me grow and change and begin to have that vibrant kind of faith that my friend Miriam did in in her kitchen in the Middle East. And so they began to say, hey, I want that kind of faith too. And then women began to come along with me. And so at some point, several friends began to speak into me and certainly my husband did too to say, you've got to write a book about this. And so I began to think, okay, I'm going to approach it like my corporate way. I'm going to make this amazing outline. I'm going to share it with a chicken list of friends who are very influential, who will speak into it. And they did. And they took one look at my outline. They said, Karen, that is not it. Go back. You need to fast. You need to pray. You need to seek the Lord to see what he would have you write. So tail between the legs, I really respected and admired these women, so I did exactly what they suggested I do. They were right. So I fasted and I prayed and didn't hear anything from the Lord, and then one day I was reading in the Old Testament, and a verse seemed to like leap off the page. In fact, it shimmered on the page, and it was in the book of Numbers, 1537, and I'm going to paraphrase, and basically it said, the, the Israelites had messed up again, and the Lord said to Moses something like, are they ever going to get it? (laughs) And essentially, the Lord told Moses to tell the Israelites to make for themselves a tassel with a blue cord and put it on the hem of their garments so that every time they saw that blue tassel, they would remember who God was, who they were in Him, and what He called them to do. And I just dove in deep in the commentaries, and I realized there's so much powerful weighty significance to that blue cord. In fact, it's on the prayer shawls of Jewish people today. That blue cord is on the hem there too. And I just got to thinking, wow, this is so significant, how the Lord gave His people a reminder of who He was and and who they were in Him and what they called Him to do. And this would have made them stand out in their culture of the day. That would have pointed them out as God's chosen people. They would have been easily identifiable in their culture in that day. And so I was, the next verse I read, I flipped over to the New Testament, and it was a verse where the hemorrhaging woman was pushing through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' robe for healing. And then I got to the commentary and realized, my goodness, Jesus' hem would have had that blue corded tassel, and she was touching that for healing. Then I knew immediately that the name of this book was called The Blue Cord, and it was about how we, we women, hold the keys to the faith of the next generation. We're living in a post-Christian culture. We are at risk of a next generation not really walking in their faith like generations before us. Certainly, the U.S. now is only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Wow. When we stop and think about the weight of this, For thousands of years, women have gone before us and have spread the gospel and expanded God's kingdom. So when we look around in our neighborhoods and we realize there are so many people who live around us without hope, they don't know Jesus, they don't know salvation, they they don't have any of that. We are the light. We are the ones called to be the light in our generation to pass it on. So So this book really is about certainly my own personal journey in that, but it's just full of stories of everyday women just like me who have begun to walk in, I would say, the fullness of faith, to share their faith boldly with great moral courage in our generation. But also, there's some incredible stories from women of other faith backgrounds 
who have realized that in order for them to walk with Jesus, they had to lose everything so that they could find everything in Him. And so it is really a culmination and a rallying cry for the women in our generation to know who God is, what He called us to do, and to lock arms together with one another in community, because when we are doing this together, we're bolder. And so just really walk through that together. Oh, Karen, I am looking forward to finishing up my copy of The Blue Cord. I want to pray together very quickly. We're at the end of our show, but I would love to invite the listener to join us in this prayer. It'll be a short one. I just want to encourage you with this prayer that asks, Dear Lord, will you touch my heart in such a way that my mouth will open and the joy of loving you and being loved by you will pour out. And it will be so attractive that the woman or the women or the men who hear it will want more. And Lord, we've got more to give, haven't we? We've got your entire word. I thank you for people like Karen and like Renaud who do a wonderful job of sharing their faith. Help us to be more aggressive ourselves. And we ask this in the name of a very aggressive Jesus Christ, who walked where people didn't like him, who did things that he knew were going to upset them, and eventually went to the cross to save us. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Karen, thank you so much for being our guest today. I, as I close and say goodbye to you, I would like permission to call your husband and have him tell a little bit about his side of the story. Would that be okay? Absolutely. He has an amazing story. <laughs> and so I think you and your listeners are going to love to hear it. Oh, we will indeed. All right. Thank you so much. And listener, that means you need to come back next week for another great interview with Karen's precious husband. And we'll hear more more, more. I'm Jill Taylor at Choose Life Radio. The preceding program was sponsored by the Choose Life Radio Network of Canton, Ohio.